0: We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars.
1: Hey there, it's Timmy Manor and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight like it does every week, Benny Little.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Hey, we're a very, very special guest in the studio today, Benny. Yes, mate. This guy—he's part of the reason I was a grew up a Bulldogs fan. Uh, oh wow! He's, he's a lifelong long, Bulldogs fan. Brainwashed me as a kid. Okay. Um, and we speak about it on this show every week. Every athlete we get in here, we always talk about their story and uh, how everyone's got their own story. And this guy's story is one of the most powerful stories, um, you know, that you can probably get. And I'm so honoured that he's here to share it with us. Yeah. Um, you know, his three children. Obviously, a lot of people know the story, but that were tragically struck down late in 2020. Uh, Danny joins us to talk about the power of forgiveness his love for the doggies, and why he founded the I Forgive Foundation. Tonight, our guest on the Spirit of Sport is none other than inspirational father, Denny Abdullah. Denny, thanks for joining hey. us, brother.
0: Thanks, Tim. How are you, Ben? Oh, good. Good, mate. Good. good thanks for coming, you, mate. mate. Wow.
1: Let's start with the uh, the Bulldogs thing. Uh, and, uh, my and we'll blood... just go up from here. Yeah. Well, my beloved <laughs> Parramatta Eagles got absolutely smacked <laughs> on the weekend, but it was uh, it was actually a very nice day, um, and we'll talk more about the I Forgive Foundation later, but... Why were you a Doggies fan? You grew up in Western Sydney. How did that happen?
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, I grew up in Western Sydney, but I was born in Canterbury Hospital. And
1: oh, so was I. Yeah, yeah, so
0: we had this theory when we were younger. It's whatever hospital you were born in. and Yeah, nice.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> there was all these little theories as, as you were a kid, and, yeah. you know, David and Richard, your cousins. Yes, yes. They're my cousins as well, so they, yeah. they're Doggies fans. So, yeah, it's blue and white. Since since we were born. Can yeah. I just weigh in there?
2: Yeah. I was um born in Toowoomba Hospital. Oh wow. So what does that make? Broncos that, in. Yeah, okay. The Toowoomba sales. Yeah. Connection. It's, it's now yeah. a mental institution, so I don't know what that says about me. But
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that explains a lot about you. Yeah, okay, actually. So that's the connection there. Everyone wondering everyone asks all, all Lebanese related, me and Danny are related. It's mm. we're related through cousins. So my first cousins, David Richard and Jamil, yep. he's their first cousin as well on their side. So okay. We have a, a relation there, but uh, let's be honest.
0: Do we all just call each other cousins? We do really call we're each other we're we're cousins. Everything it's cousin. Uh, Lebanese. Yeah. We don't die. We multiply. <laughs> 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 Correct.
1: Oh, we
2: started early. Uh, We're
1: cousins of <laughs> dozens. That's yeah. so good. Uh, Daniel, let's talk about what it was like growing up. I guess in Western Sydney, your upbringing is a pretty powerful story in itself. Even you know, if, without looking at the last couple of years, let's go back to when you where you grew up. Uh, for someone growing up in a Let's be honest. It was probably a rough, rough area at the time. How did you manage that, and how did you kind of adapt to the, your surroundings?
0: So we, I grew up in Blacktown, and yep. you know, predominantly Quakers Hill and Layla Park, a lot of Hauzoh, and you grew up in this environment where you know you got to fend for yourself a little bit, and especially on the train stations and stuff. So as a young fella, I was, a, I was a juvenile. I was always in trouble with the police when I was under eighteen. Getting into fights and you know, trying to fend for myself. And I think y- you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about life. I think when you when you grow up, if you if you give it the opportunity and look into it, what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing, but you realise you only know what you know according to the environment you live in. Yeah. And it's one thing living in that environment. It's one thing trying to see what's outside of that environment and how people live. Yeah. And I. I picked up a job when I was about 17 with a, with a group of farm workers and I always say to young kids, you know, never choose a job, choose a boss. And for me, I I think I chose the right boss that mentored me and taught me about life lessons about, you know, work ethic and, you know, dreaming about doing the right thing. So that, that helped me out and understand that environment I lived in wasn't actually the right environment to be in. And it, with working for them it taught me about you know your goals and and trying to achieve and going from a laborer to a carpenter to a former carpenter and then starting a business establishing a company with you know two grand and a prayer an old yeah. and old
1: that's
0: a new so yeah that's pretty much where I grew up growing up in that uh like
2: tougher environment um that you talk about was there any skills that were kind of um, formulated in you? Do you think from a young age that you took into that that um, like that that new job and the rest of your life?
0: Was there any new skill? Yeah, there is. Look, y- you learn about people around you, yeah, and you understand uh, who's who in the zoo in that yeah. sense. Where yeah. and you start. I, I learned quite quickly. Invest in the people around you that that'll be around in your darkest hour. Yeah. You know, because you learn that everyone's around you in the good times. Yeah, yeah. When things happen, as as young, I I notice when people disappear, and you quite you learn quite quickly what to do and and who who who's genuine and who's not. Yeah, that's really cool. yeah.
1: That's so crazy because you're um, you you end up for those that don't know you end up getting becoming an athlete in your own right. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, now you can tell Benny's looking at me with complete surprise. He doesn't know what's going on here. Nice. Um, so man, I tell you, we get athletes on the show yeah, all the time. No, it doesn't no, matter no. where.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, no. uh, kickboxing. Yes. Is, that, is that the sport it was? Yeah, it was. Yeah.
0: That, that, that actually helped me a lot, too. Yeah. I was a kid, you know, I, I went to Blacktown Police Boys. I met a trainer from Bulldog, uh, Stuart McKinnon, at the time. And um, I started kickboxing. And, and, you know, you learn athletes, they, they have an addictive nature. But yeah. When they put it towards something positive, they become so good hmm. at it. And that's,
1: yeah, that's a good point. It's spot and on. And, yeah. and
0: and when they put it towards something negative, they become so bad, <laughs> yeah. so negative. You know, and yeah. um, I think at the time I, I put it towards my training, and I won uh, two Australian titles in kickboxing and wow. an East Coast title. Um, I travelled to Thailand. That was probably the late nineties. Back then, yes, there was no camps the way it is today. Like, right. so you had to go. We went looking for a Thai camp. And we found one, and in that Thai camp, it was, uh, cock and, and there was cockfighting <laughs> and dogfighting, <there> <laughs> and and there was and there was no there was no foreigners. We were the only ones at the time, yeah. you know. And um, you had to live with them, and you learn a lot about yourself. I think when you when you when you step out and, and try and do that.
2: Yeah, who'd you go with? Just you and your coach? Or? Me
0: and my trainer Stuart, yeah, right. and another guy Tim Fisher. He's still there actually. Oh wow. what well, what experience. Where did you-
1: what did your parents say? <laughs> <laughs> Levo parents, wouldn't they just be... Um,
0: they never watched my fight say eh? They never watched it. Yeah. Never, ever once. Wow. You know, they, yeah. yeah. Parents.
1: Well, I played I, I played 11 years of NRL and I reckon my mum came to probably <laughs> six, seven games and five of those would have been Johnny Manor cups. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, not that she, I she just watch it from home but um, she used to cringe and even when I was 13 I used to be double the size of these I was like, that kid that you know, every parent would have hated because I was way bigger than all the other kids. Yeah. And even then she would cringe watching me play. I'm like, mum, I'm fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was sat next to your wife when she's watched you play. And I, yeah. like, I was scared for my life.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm scared around her as well. <laughs> 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 um, so you, you end up winning those titles. What, what made you stop doing it?
0: Uh, I was at a crossroad and um, I, there was... Stewart said to me, You've got a few more fights, there's you know, potential maybe a commonwealth, a world and and I looked at I looked at the fight game and I thought okay, what do I see myself in ten years? Am I gonna yeah. open up a gym and and I enjoyed construction, I loved it at yeah. that time and I made that choice to sort of say, you know what? I'm gonna pursue my um my career in, in the building industry and, and and I had to let it go at the time. How and old were you? Probably about 25, 26.
2: Wow. And I had that foresight at that young age.
0: Yeah. What's I, going on there? Where that... I don't know where that came from. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but just I, yeah. I thought, I, I looked at, I, I weighed everything up and I thought like there was a crossroad and I, I chose to say to my yeah. trainer, look, I'm, I'm going to start pursuing my my career in construction.
1: We well, talk about the addictive personality when athletes are addicted to their sport, they, they go succeed. Well, you ended up succeeding in the next chapter of your life, the business world. What was that like coming? Like obviously you wouldn't have had the, the business training or like how did you go from business, the business world to now having a really successful company that's done so well and obviously very well. Like even uh, you, you do have a lot of fame now over the last couple of years because, you know, it's, it's such a – the way you've handled yourself, it's so admirable and so many people admire you. But even before that, you were very well known in the community and the business world as well. How did you build yourself up to become such a um, successful businessman?
0: Look, I started off, I think, me and my, I had two grand in a prayer. Yeah. had an old Datsun Ute, and he, I'd just drive around the coast of, like, Narrowbreed, Mandy, and just knock on job, job sites, houses getting dug, and yep. give them my card and persist. And, um, yeah, it just went from strength to strength. And, and you learn in, in, in business, try and invest in the people that work for you. And they'll, in, they'll invest in your clients and... and and you know what? We we grew from strength to strength, and we, I always, you know, had that faith in God where he 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 yeah. he was in control mm. more than me.
1: Yeah. Um. You've also got a good team as well around you. I think that helps. Like you, you kind of built yourself a nice little your business. You walk in there, your office, and you actually feel uh, the place humming and buzzing, and everyone on the same page.
2: Yeah. When you say invest into your team, it sounds like you have got a great culture now. What are some yeah. of the, the practical things you did to invest into that team?
0: Look, we, like, my first worker, he was a third-year apprentice when he came, and today he's the CEO of the company. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, okay. I, I'm big on upskilling.
2: Yeah, good, yeah. I
0: love people, I, you know, to, because they understand how you operate, how you think, and, you know, going from a, a, a third-year apprentice to a carpenter to a leading hand to a foreman to a project manager – you know, and, awesome. and and just yeah. let them grow and and, and support them, and, and and I always say, I say to my staff, I'd rather you make the the wrong decision than no decision, mm. because yeah. no decision gets you nowhere.
2: Yeah.
0: But the wrong decision will get you to the right one, and and you know, they're little things that we, we we discuss, and and it's you you treat them like they're your family, and and be genuine about it. Yeah,
1: yeah. we well, talk about family, and you're you're one of the most passionate family men I know. Even when I was Playing for the Eels back in the day, I remember you, you still took me to a house in the suburb I now live in um, to buy a house in and the area. And, and your selling point was be close to your work because you, so that way you can always be close to your family if you want to come home at any stage in the day, uh, if you want to drive to the school, uh, and just the way you spoke about you know raising your family and the importance of being around your children was something that's always been part of your life. Um, were you always a big like you, you had like you got a lot of kids? <laughs> um, was that always a big part of your life wanting for a big family?
0: Uh, look it. At- I've always loved kids, yeah, and just they're they're just so pure, pure at heart. Mm. And give me ten kids, I'd rather hang out with them than, yeah, yeah. than grown ups. I just like being around them. And um, I've always had a passion for kids, especially, you know, I had six kids under the age of nine at at one point. And I just think, you know, if you want to make a difference to the world, start with your kids. And yeah. a lot of a lot of us men, we don't get in the trenches with them enough. Yeah, and I always encourage other men and. And even before the tragedy occurred, people used to say to me, "What do you do for work?" I said, "I'm a full-time father, part-time worker."
1: Mm. Yeah. And
0: I'd, I'd even, you know, term two would come; those ten weeks, I'd I'd put all their events on the calendar, and yeah. I'd work my work life around those events. And even yeah. look, even when I used to interview like senior staff in my company, the first thing I'd say to them, I say, "Listen, if your son or daughter is getting an award at school, I'd, I want you to go there." Mm. Because you'll make up for it later. Yeah. So we try and keep uh, one of our staff more, more like as a, as a good balance, a holistic balance where so good. They've, they've, their family life and their work life actually work well together. They yeah. complement each other.
2: Yeah. yeah. You look around society and a lot of fathers would rely on the school to raise their kids or, um, you know, say their church or some other community thing they're involved in. What would you say to the, the dads just starting out on that journey?
0: I, I I look at it if I had to put it I'd put it seventy percent home thirty percent school right i don't I don't want to rely on anyone to raise my kids and um, and that that's that's the ratio some people think oh if I drop off the kids and and at school they'd be okay but but one thing I've learned even through our tragedy all the therapy in the world for any kids doesn't work if their love tanks aren't full mm-hmm. and you've got to make sure that they're there that you arrive every day and they know that that they're loved by their parents yeah and then you can apply whatever therapy they need if they need anything and and that's how it works yeah Yeah, wow with
2: um developing your kids um awareness of god and their faith
0: how have you how have you done that with with your children over the years we speak about jesus a lot and how much we love him and you know and how he's in our heart. And, and we, we always talk about Christ. He's the centerpiece. We pray before we eat. We do the basic fundamentals. And, yeah. and Layla, Layla always stresses with the kids, you know, I, I might not see you all the time, but but God's watching you. Yeah. And if they do something, um, you know, something's happened or they've done something wrong, especially my older kids said, you know what? I'm okay with it. I've forgiven you. But you know what? Go, go into your room and just ask God to forgive you. Yeah. He'll forgive you straight away. But we always attach that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so good.
1: That's unreal. That's great parenting. I'm going to take some mates. Can you
2: come talk to my marriage?
0: Yeah. Nah, man, <laughs> look, can we get you in? <laughs> Private sitting? Oh, uh, look, I've always had a passion about family, and, and especially in the world we live in, especially yeah. the whole world, we always get online, so it's all about entrepreneur and getting it yeah. su- success, success, success. Mm. But There's a lot of collateral damage you leave behind if, yeah. you, if you chase that too much and forget about there.
2: Yeah, there seems to be so much to be said for that holistic approach that mm. that you're talking to. Yeah, I think
1: even in many ways we've broken down the family structures as well. Because like yeah. uh, you know, mums are more encouraged now, more than ever to work daycare and schools raise their children. Men are working their backsides off, barely yeah. seeing their children. It's kind of the feeding structure of the old traditional ways, probably.
2: Yeah, after school care to yeah, five yeah, five thirty six.
0: Yeah, so get to, home,
1: so yeah. you're right. You've got to be more intentional about making sure you you put your time into your children and, and
0: yeah, yeah. And, and the problem is, we get home, and we're living in that workspace. Yeah, we're cooked. So when you're when you're when you're showering, you're thinking about feeding them. When you're feeding them, you're thinking about putting them to bed. And when you put them to bed, you think about preparing. You're actually not living in that moment with them. Yeah, good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're not
0: sitting there and how was your day and what did you do. You're always in the next hour.
1: Mm. Yeah. And that's that's the the challenge
0: where you got to take your work hat off Mm. and put your dad hat on and and try. It's 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 not easy. I still I'm still guilty of it. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't understand what's in the next hour. They actually live in the now. Yeah. Yeah. Just being present, and that's where we need to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We we spoke in the uh, introduction about that. Tragic Night in December 2020. Was it December?
0: Yeah, no, February 2020. Yeah,
1: I thought so. Hey, producer time, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but can you just give us a bit of insight on, I guess, what that was like for you and, I guess, how your life has turned, has yeah. changed since then?
0: I think, for me, I look at my timeline of my life, uh, BT and AT, before the tragedy and after the tragedy. Uh, yep. Yeah. And um, my my life turned upside down. Uh, seven children went for a walk to get ice cream, and and they got hit by a drunken, drug affected driver. I came to the scene. Timmy, you were there a little yeah. bit later. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in a state of shock. Of what to do? How to how to respond? And you know, I I actually you know surrendered it to God and said it was bigger than me. And Layla was praying. She wouldn't accept that the kids were gone. She mm. she you know and yeah. And then yeah, we, the tragedy occurred and. What do you do? You know you've lost half your household. The next choice you make, you could either lose all your household or, or try and keep what's left. And, and my wife and I, uh, we chose to forgive the driver pretty quickly, yeah. I think in two days, because we wanted to keep our house, what was left, together. Right. So.
1: I think that for me, that's the part that blows me away. Like, there's a lot of parts of this story that blows me away, but the speed of which you forgave. Like for me – and I, you've taught me a lot about forgiveness as well. There's a lot of parts of my life I have to forgive and, and move on with, but um, a lot of it came with time as well. Like I find with time, it's a lot easier to forgive because you move on with your life, you've got different priorities or you know, you, yeah, things happen and you get move on. And even though things hurt, you look back and you kind of think, oh, you know what? I've moved on. I can forgive him now. You guys forgave someone in the most tragic circumstances almost immediately. It was so quick. And that's I think that's what absolutely shook everyone that saw the story because they thought these guys had lost three children and all of a sudden they're coming out and, and they're talking about that publicly. How, how did that speed come about? Like how did you decide so quickly in the midst of all your pain and anger?
0: Can I, I'll tell you, I didn't, as a dad, I've got no regrets. I didn't leave, no stone I turned. Those kids, I was, when I wasn't working, I was with them. Mm. So there was a part of me that knew that their love tanks were full mm. There was a part of me that said, I've mate, what I did in those 12, eight to 12, 13 years. Men don't do in a lifetime, yeah, uh, with their kids. Mm. And there was no, I thought, okay, they're not here. And me, my faith, they're actually in the best place, they're in yeah. heaven, they're with yeah. Jesus, yeah. So there was a part of me that said, you know what, they're, they're, they're with Christ, and and I, I and, and then I thought, okay, I've got to control what's in front of me. And my wife, Layla, Layla forgave. I wasn't surprised because I know her. Yeah. And, and then me and her made a promise that, listen, we've got to honor God through this mm. at the time. And she said, yep, yeah, we're going to do that. And for me, I'm going to do whatever it takes to see my kids again. Yeah. Mm. And for me to seek revenge, bitterness, and go for the guy, I don't know my chances are yeah. you know, to live that life. I don't know where I'll end up, but, but to fi- I'm, I'm doing whatever it takes as a dad to be reunited with my kids. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: yeah. Through this, this tragedy and this pain and this loss, has there have you gone to a new level in, like, um, your, your depth of your relationship with Jesus? And have you learned anything more about, about God through all this?
0: Oh, big time. Mm. It's, um, it's funny. And, and I look back now, and I think the greatest writers in history aren't the ones that are educated it's the ones that have experienced deep trauma mm. or grief, yeah. And and you know, look at look at the book of Romans. Paul, he was writing. That's one of the most positive books. He was in jail.
2: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah.
0: That's powerful if you think about it. And
2: yeah.
0: one thing I did learn about being a Christian. It was like the penny dropped, and the whole story of Christ on the cross. It was like oh, I get it now. Christ said, let me go first. Let me suffer first. Yeah. And I'll show you how to conduct yourself mm. in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Actually, I don't serve a God that's testing me, saying, you know what? I'm just testing. No, I'm, I serve the God said, so let me go in the trenches first and I'll show you how to do it. Mm. Yeah, And that's, for me, it feels, it. it look, it, it helps. Yeah.
1: yeah. You spoke about how their love tanks were full and how they experienced light in those years. I asked well, I my brother Johnny when he was 23 which is a lot, obviously a lot older than your children but I remember saying compared to eternity like you look at eternity right if you live to be 150 years old right for example compared to eternity it's still uh, a vapor like it's not even yeah. like it's not even doesn't even measure compared to eternity mm-hmm. um, and you know, Johnny lived to 23 so whether he lived someone lived to 23 or he lived to 150 or 200 years old it still doesn't make a difference in eternity like it's not no. not a long time at all and Your kids and that they've impacted people more in their short years than people that live to be eighty or ninety years old because of the way God's used that tragedy to impact the world, really. Mm. Um, And it's just it's so funny because as humans we're so caught up in this tangible earth that we think this is this is eternity, we think this is eternal, and everything else is like you know not that important. Whereas reality is this is so temporary.
0: Yeah. Well, as Christians. We don't believe in life after death. We believe in life after life. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. And sometimes we forget that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember it would have been between the tragedy and the funeral, your mom came and visited us. Mm. Yeah. And she was so encouraging. And she, I remember she said, every day is a day closer. Yeah. And that attitude, she it was like she gave me a gift. And, mm. and it's yeah. so true. Like, my wife and I, we say, they're not behind us. They're actually in front of us. Mm. And that's our attitude. Where and that's as Christians, that's that's the way we should be. The greatest hour of your life as a yeah. Christian should be the hour of your death, yeah, because you know you're going home. Mm.
1: Yeah, and, that's that's powerful, yeah.
0: And and that's for that's for us. That's what we live now because heaven be, is is a, even more beautiful because yeah. that's where our kids are.
1: Yeah. Well, we spoke about the the power that you had to forgive and and the impact that had on everyone that saw that. Um, how did the, the I Forgive Foundation come about? Like, how did that idea come about?
0: So, Layla, we were overwhelmed, probably. We were in a place of shock at the time. Yeah. And three, four months later, Layla was, we were both like, this whole forgiveness piece, people were reaching out. And it wasn't just Christians, it was Muslims and Jews and all walks of life, people were touched by our story. And, mm. and then Layla goes, look, you know, in honor of the kids, I want to, have an I forgive day. So we were at the time at Parliament House in the state, in, in the city. And and I remember Layla went up to Gladys at the time. that She was the premier, Gladys Berejiklian. She said, mm-hmm. can we have an I forgive day in honour of the kids? And she said, we'd be honoured. I'm telling you, she didn't even blink. It was like, whoa. I thought, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, The former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, found out, and his wife, and they wanted to be a part of it, and we were honored to have them all. And then it just became, it's a a message of forgiveness. It's a conversation on forgiveness. That Mm. I Forgive Day became now I Forgive Week. Yeah. Where there's I Forgive Day, which is, there's a lot of stuff with the schools and the unis. There's, we're looking. We're tapping into the prisons about forgiveness conversations, forgiving you know your family, your loved ones, and we've got now, I forgive Friday, where the mosques across Australia talk about forgiveness. Yeah, I forgive Sabbath, <laughs>
1: wow. yeah.
0: which is the Saturday for the Jews, and there's an I forgive Sunday, for all the Christians. So it's like all denominations get together, and 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 that that first first of February, the first week, yeah, that's where we talk about forgiveness and and that's one thing we need to discuss because it's a it's a it's a christian message but it's a humanitarian message as well
1: 100%, and we yeah. as
0: christians we we have an obligation to share that with the world regardless yeah. if they choose to to be with us or not we yeah. need to that's what christ would do
2: mm.
1: that's so powerful
2: yeah it's a, a universal truth isn't it that's inbuilt in every faith denomination ethnicity that we can all connect around
0: Correct, yeah.
1: yeah. Have you... um? Like I was we were talking about the Parramatta Bulldogs game earlier, uh, and I know the guys there, the CEO, Aaron Warburton, the chairman, John Currie, but um, they really embraced it. And now they played for the IFA Cup, which was actually a pretty impressive trophy. It's a big trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the biggest one the dogs have won for a while. <laughs> it's uh, well, para won since 86, <laughs> so I can't. <laughs> um, how did that come about, the Bulldogs-Para game?
0: Uh, look, I... I um close friends with uh, Rob Shahady. Oh yep, yep. And he said, look, why don't we you knew I was a doggies fan and, and you know the rivalry dog isn't Parry. Yeah. It's yes, like I a it's like a well. for us it's it's a middle of the season grand final.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: You know, everyone stops and we all watch and yep, and if you win you're the happiest man. If you lose you're shattered. Yeah, so <laughs> Dragon rights for a long time. <laughs> so um, yeah Rob suggested why don't we meet up with Aaron and, yeah. and have a chat to him about having an I forgive cup so he he got us we got together, and we spoke to Aaron, and then I met Phil Gould, and we spoke about you know the conversation about forgiveness, especially with n r l players as well, where they you know a lot of them make mistakes, but sometimes they don't forgive themselves, yeah yeah, and then they become repeat offenders yeah yeah so um this year was probably an intro, yeah. but even on the field you know we we actually I had a discussion with the doggies a few days prior about. Yeah. Um, about the game and, and I spoke to them about look I can't promise you a perfect game but what I want you to do if you make a mistake I need you to forgive yourself or forgive your mate and if you look at the stats there was more errors and more penalties conceded with the dogs oh
1: really yeah
0: and they won the game so I said get back on your high horse and, and don't worry about it forgive yourself yeah and it would, uh, I think it might have worked but yeah, sure yeah mate
1: that one that was probably the best I've played in years yeah, yeah. I, was, I was calling the game for the SEN uh, <laughs> and where my box was, there's actually a lot of the family were right in front of me. But every time the doggies score, they'd always turn around and start <laughs> teasing me. <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> um, and I think that's—is there any more steps? Like, what's the future look like for that? That I forgive day, week, foundation, games. Is there any like what's in the in the future hold for it?
0: So, um, we've been invited to go. Oh, to, yes, to go to Rome. Wow, to the Vatican. There's a there's a world meeting of families conference. So there's going to be a, like five to 10,000 families coming across from, from around the world. And we're going to talk about the topic is forgiveness, forgiveness, the path to holiness as a family. Yep. Um, we're going to, we're praying that hopefully they, they can acknowledge I Forgive Day and become wow. something that's global. Yeah. And if we, you know, the vision is if we can get there, we can maybe go to America to the Bible Belt yep. and, and spread this, um, you know, across the globe. So we can capture it with everyone. So there'd be imagine there was a moment, once a year, where the whole world recognizes forgiveness, or yeah. I forgive, where we can all have a conversation. What does it look like? Yeah. What does it feel like? And then you can hear testimonies that I didn't talk to my brother, I forgave him, and I began to heal. And you know, so well, well,
1: yeah. that, I think that's a like looking at forgiveness from just a secular view, right? The actual forgiveness and what it actually does to humans is it's very healing. But non-forgiveness and bitterness actually causes a lot of. I reckon it causes illness. It causes health problems. It causes breakdowns of relationships. It clo- There's so many issues that yep. come from a, from the lack of forgiveness in people's life. And it's like until someone actually lets go of something and actually genuinely forgives that you actually feel that. People say it feels like a, you know, a weight's lifted off my shoulders, but it's cause your body's actually harnessing onto bitterness that actually causes your body to have physical effects of the non-forgiveness. Um, I don't know if there are many studies, I'm sure there would be, but it should it'd be interesting to know how much studies show um, the difference forgiveness can make to your actual physical health.
0: Well, we've been looking at research and, and it does relate to mental health. Yeah. And there is a lot of relation with, with unforgiven hearts. And, and, you know, I'm going to share with you something. Um, so I heard it once upon a time a while ago and a guy said to me, um, a man's heart when he's old gets revealed on his face. Yeah. You See those old men, they're miserable, they've got an unforgiving heart. Where you see them, they're they're, you see those, you get some men, they're just glowing, Mm. and you can see their heart on their face. Where that you you see that they've lived the life of they've got a pure heart, they've they've been forgiving all their lives, and and yeah, we we look at it now, and, and it is a suicide prevention, yeah, yeah. Because let me tell you, anyone that's attempted suicide, I can pretty much guarantee they haven't forgiven themselves, yeah, or they've been hard on themselves, or they haven't forgiven, um. They've been upset with someone. Mm. Uh, it's it's antidepressant, mm. where it, it it stops you thinking about the past and what's happened. Once you let go, you start to realize that forgiveness is for the forgiver more than the forgiver. Yeah. Mm. yeah, And and that's the message we want to share with the world. Say, so guys, yeah. People think forgiveness is oh, I want to forgive you.
2: Mm.
0: You know, you don't deserve it, but I deserve peace. Mm. And that's the message we're trying to to to, to, to you know to spread.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and the ultimate expression of that is, like I said before, Christ's example of dying on the cross um, for us and paying that sacrifice. Um, how do you, how do you ex- explain it to someone who's it's completely
0: foreign to? I, I, that's a good question. When someone's never experienced it, I try and explain, and I said, "Man, it's for you. You need to let go. You need to start to heal." And and then I tell them that it becomes chronic and then your kids can actually catch it off you mm. because raising kids is contagious. Definitely. They do yeah. what you do, not what yeah, you say. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And if, if you have an unforgiving heart, if I don't talk to my brother and I hold that bitterness and anger and that, my kid's going to mimic me. And she, he's probably not going to talk to his sister in 15 years down the track. Mm. So yeah. I try and encourage them and say, guys, it is dangerous to hold it and hold it and hold it. You've got to learn to... To forgive and let go. Mm. That's so good, very good.
1: And I think that's the most powerful message to come out of what well, was a tragic circumstance, but the the ramifications around the world. Like you actually gone to Rome now, like which is awesome. when you actually think about that, this is a huge story, and it's um it's I'm I'm so honoured. We're out, we're out of time, but I'm so honoured that we get to have yes. you share your story. But also I'm so grateful that we have you in, in our community to look to and. Yeah. Um, you know yourself Thanks. and Layla, what you guys have done, the impact you had on the people around you, the um the message you guys are sharing, the hope uh, of forgiveness that can yeah. actually make a change of people around you. It's so powerful, and it's something that isn't just words. Because I've like I said, I've known you since I was in nappies, and yet you, you have always had that heart of, of, that people love being around you. You're always warm Thanks to dear. people around you since we were kids, and now to see you actually live and breathe it throughout every part of your life through, you know, you, you became a Professional athlete, you became a very successful business person. You walked through the most tragic circumstances anyone could ever go through and came through every part with flying colors and just a real testament to what um, you know is a right role model for kids to look up to. Mate, we're so grateful that you um, came and gave your time. Thanks, Tim.
0: Thanks, we love you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Danny. Love you, brother.